You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. Good morning. It is an honor to be with you. Uh, I know Jeff takes the pulpit very seriously in preaching God's word, and so I'm, I'm honored and, and appropriately sobered by um, his trust to me this morning. And so uh, thankful for that, thankful for you know, this church. I, I do bring greetings from three places. My, my family, he mentioned Mallory and our kids. Uh, so she's teaching um, children at our local church, Liberty Baptist Church uh, in, in Liberty, Missouri, just across the way from here. Um, and so bring you greetings from them and, and my children. Uh, she'll be wrestling them this morning. So y'all pray for them. Um, Spurgeon College, he mentioned Spurgeon College and Midwestern Seminary. We have a number of students that are uh, formerly students, but, but they're members here as well as students who are going through the, their classes, preparing for ministry and or whatever vocation God um, is drawing them to. And so just bring you greetings from, from the school and the partnership that, that we value with, with Ascend as well. Um, and then finally, just Liberty Baptist Church. Um, uh, anything that I'm going to do is an extension of my membership and uh, just time there. And, and so just want to bring you greetings from a sister church across the way. And uh, yeah, thankful to be here. Let me pray and we'll begin. Lord, you're good and you do good. And so we ask that you would bless this theological meal that we are about to partake in. We, we love your word. We want to love it more. We ask that you would grant that to us. We've, we've gathered here to hear from you. And so we ask that you would grant us life. You, you've told us in scripture that we're, um, we're listening for our very lives this morning. We drag patterns of long-standing sin in here as, as believers. Even some of us in a group this size are unbelievers. And so we desperately need you to do your work in us that you alone can do. We cannot even grant ourselves life. And so we ask that you give us spiritual life and vitality um, and that that would start with listening to your word and that we would be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. What is your greatest fear? What is your greatest fear? The one I'm looking for is, is, is not a nonchalant one. I'm actually asking about the one that haunts you. Maybe you can't even go a full day without thinking about it. It just kind of creeps into your thinking. Or maybe for you, it, it's even more so. It's not even an hour that you can't go by without in some form thinking about this greatest fear. Maybe for you, it's that one of your children might die tragically. Or that uh, one will in the end prove to be an unbeliever. Is that your greatest fear? Maybe yours is, what if my husband cheats on me? What if my wife cheats on me? What if they're cheating on me now and I don't know it? What's your greatest fear? Maybe for you it's different. It's questions about eternal realities here in this world. Maybe you're there in the seat and you're considering, is this Bible legit? Like the whole church thing, like, and, and you have questions about that, but you're a little bit elusive, fearful of it, so you don't bring it out very much. But that's your greatest fear is that you're, you're placing some hope in this or fearing to place hope in it, and it may turn out to be just a hoax, right? What is your greatest fear? Maybe for you, it's that you die young. Maybe that you would get cancer and die painfully. Maybe it's that you get canceled on social media, that you're going to lose your job. Like what's your greatest fear? 
I'm not that concerned whether it's plausible or implausible. The one that I'm looking for, for you to get your, at the front of your mind, is the one that pops to your mind. It, it's, it haunts you, it, it dogs your steps, and whether it's plausible or implausible is not really my concern. What, what I want to do is kind of get it at the forefront of your mind and let Psalm 121 address that fear throughout this sermon. And then, Lord willing, my prayer is for the rest of your life, that this psalm would become precious to you um, and it would become a fortress in your heart, your mind, and that you would be able to deploy it at times of fear um, when, when things are haunting you. And normal for me, I'm, I'm a professor, so I'm, I'm bringing just a slight bit of homework. Uh, whoever you have lunch with or, or, or wherever, um, I would encourage you to talk about this particular fear what came into your heart and your mind, and then talk about it in light of Psalm 121. That, that's my hope, and that's also, you know, kind of a little bit of a homework, and everyone has it, so you all know about it, so y'all can discuss that. So with that homework, let me go first. I'll, I'll be intrepid and, and be the first one. Um, mine really comes, my greatest fear comes in the form of a question, and it's a little bit recent for me, uh, maybe in the last four or five years, but it's this, does God really love you, Sam? Like, like really love you the way the Bible says that he does. Because Sam, you, you know you, you know your past, you know your present struggle with sins, your awareness of your sins, and then you're choosing to still sin. Does he really love you? It's kind of <clears throat> the accuser slithering up next to my ear, lisping with his snakish tongue. Does God really love you? It's very much like the garden, right? That's my greatest fear. And in theological terms, it's a little cold for me, but it's just assurance of salvation. Um, but the question is, does he love me? And here's why. If what rings clear, everyone reads the Bible with a natural lens, right? And my natural lens is to read the Bible very clearly, understanding that God is an avenger. He does not take my sin or your sin or anyone's sin lightly. There is punishment for sin. And that's a natural read for me. And so that's a bad deal for me because that puts me directly in God's crosshairs because I'm sinful, very sinful. And so my greatest fear plays off of this. Does God really love you if, that, if those are both true, right? Well, we're going to come back to my greatest fear towards the end. But what our greatest fears, your greatest fears, my greatest fears need this morning is a good, strong dosage of Psalm 121. So turn to Psalm 121 with me, and we'll read it together. And then take it on. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Well, the central idea of Psalm 121 is, is right there on the surface. It's that 
the Lord protects his own. That's the, the title of the sermon. Um, six different times the word protect or translated ESV, which is most of what you guys are reading, is keeps. He's a keeper. He, he keeps his own. He's a watcher. He's protecting you. He's not sleeping. And in verses three through four, this is really his title. It's his name. But then in verses five through eight, his name becomes his activity. What he's named after, uh, humanly speaking, becomes his activity in his people's lives. Because he's a protector, he's a keeper. And so my aim this morning, my great hope, my prayer, is that your greatest fear, whatever popped into your mind, no matter how haunting, no matter how aggressive, that Psalm 121 would show you that you are, if you are in Christ, in Christ, your greatest fear can never pierce the defenses of Jesus Christ. So it's not about your strength or your ability to defend yourself, but it's, it's placed on Christ. No matter how haunting, no matter what it is. Now, to the contrary, if there's someone in here who doesn't know Christ, you're outside of Christ, you have no hope. You have no help. I, I, I do you no favors this morning by coming and trying to say otherwise. You, if you're outside of Christ, you've rejected his lordship, you've rejected him as your savior, then you have the God of the universe against you. And that is no place to be. Where we're headed from this point forward is just, I want to see, show you a couple pieces of structural and uh, pieces about the psalm and then some things that are emphasized, this idea of protecting and keeping. And then secondly, we'll look at two different certainties, uh, that the Lord is a helper and that the Lord is a protector. And then finally, we'll rise to sort of the pinnacle of the sermon by deploying a barrage of, of natural doctrine that's coming out of a text like this. And we'll just call those certainties or five invincible truths uh, regarding the protecting power of the resurrected Christ. Um, that we have access to, that, that if we're in Christ, that he is making us invincible based on his power. Well, look at a couple different features just in the, in the book itself. Notice that in Psalm 121, the psalmist is most concerned with future hope against despair in you. He, he's addressing your future. Look at verse three. He will not let your foot be moved. It, it's future. He who keeps you will not slumber. Look at verse six. The sun will not or it shall not strike you by day or the moon by night. Verse seven, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. Verse eight. So it's future looking. He's talking to you now this morning and he goes, I, I know you. I know your fears. I know your frame. I know your frailties, and I know that you're scared about the future. And so I'm telling you now that just the same as I'm keeping you, I'm protecting you now, I'll be there with you in the future when it gets here. I'll be the same God then as I've been so far, and I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you. So he, he's most concerned with the future you, but he, he ensures that with a couple wills and will nots, like things he's going to do, things he's not going to do. Look at verse 3. He says, I'm not going to allow some things, right? Verse three, he says, he will not let your foot slip. You're not going to stumble. Verse three, again, he will not slumber. He's not, he's not asleep on the job. 
Then he doubles down in verse four. He says, he will not sleep. Uh, uh, he will not slumber or sleep. In other words, he isn't that security guard that maybe you've had an interaction with that you pull up to the booth and he's like asleep with like chip crumblies on his chest, right? He's not asleep. He, he's not like that. He's the God of the very universe and he creates it, sustains it, and has no less energy than when he started. He's not asleep. He doesn't have to sleep. He's the, he, he literally possesses all energy and can't lose it. He's not like a battery that runs down. He's not like you. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. But he also says there's some things that, that he's going to do. He, he will do these things. Look at verse 4. The Lord protects his new covenant people in a congregational sense. He's, he's actually protecting Ascend Church. He's protecting you. Verse 5, the Lord is by your side at all times. He's sheltering you. Verse 6, the Lord keeps you from spiritual exhaustion. The, the fight against your sin and your fears, he's keeping you in that fight. He is the very energy that is being expended. Verse 7, the Lord protects you from ultimate harm, final harm, eternal harm, if you're his. Verse 8, the Lord protects your everyday life. That's the meaning behind going out and coming in. Your morning, your evening. You punch out at five o'clock, whatever. He's protecting you. The Lord protects your eternal life, verse eight, when he, he culminates with this idea of forevermore. He's gonna keep you. Well, also notice um, that this song, it, it, it's a psalm, but it works. It's got an argument to it, but it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. The Lord is a helper and a protector, and he grounds that. He roots it in two observable historical realities. And the first one is creation. He, he created the heavens and the earth, and he sustains them now. He just, whoa, 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 whoa. it's not difficult for him. It's just like, you know, a Tuesday or whatever. It's just not a big deal. And he goes, if you can view that, then what if your fears again? He roots it in creation, but then he roots it in the historical reality of sustaining Israel all the way through his promises. So he mightily, he skillfully, he unerringly protects his promises and his people through the foibles and sins of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then they find themselves in slavery, right, in, in Exodus, and he, he pulls them out of the most powerful hands in, in the world at the time, and Pharaoh, he pulls them out. He protects them. He goes, do you remember that? Not only that, he, he pulls them across the Jordan River on a dry creek bed into the promised land. And he goes, do you remember that? If I protected you all the way along? Do you remember all the sins of the kings? I've protected you all the way along. All the difficulty in the time of the judges, I protected you all the way through that. I protect my people. And so he keeps us and he grounds those promises in a lesser to greater idea. If I can do that, then what of your fears again? Well, let's look at this first certainty. Certainty number one, the Lord is a helper. The Lord is a helper. This comes from verses one through four, largely, and it's a certainty. The Lord's a helper. He can't not be that way. This psalm would have been used in temple worship, um, old, old covenant here. So most likely it exists in kind of three different speaking or interacting parts. And verse one would be sort of like the presiding worship leader. 
So Ben normally, but Isaac this morning for us. So, so it would have been him. First one would have been his section. And then two would have been you guys and, and, and me as well, just as a responding congregation uh, back to the worship leader. And then the third part is the preaching priest or in the book of Ecclesiastes, the, the Kohelet, the, the preacher. And so it would work kind of like this. Verse one, uh, the presiding worship leader, Isaac maybe, would say something like, I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? from and then we would step up and we would say my help comes from the Lord maker of heaven and earth and then Jeff he would step forward and he say he will not let your foot be moved he who keeps you will not slumber and then he would go on so it, it's a it's a feat it's featuring these different moves and maybe that helps you to see even this idea of the, your view of how how is he a helper in your life and you you confess it you know, he, he keeps me, he protects me, he's a help to me. And you're announcing it, but you're also wrestling for your faith. That's the idea. Well, these, these Psalms, this is a Psalm of Ascent, uh, and, and it's serving as a hymn. It's, it's a chant in the songbook of the temple visitors from all over Israel, these worshipers who would ascend the mountains of Jerusalem that made it such a natural fortress, and they would likely sing it on the way as well as sing it when they got to the temple, right? And so this idea of a psalm of ascent is, is connected to Jerusalem and, the, and these difficult, scaled, treacherous mountains that they would have to work their way up and they're fearful in the middle of that. But then it becomes sort of like this metaphor for their entire life as they seek to worship the Lord. And verse one, the questioning nature of the, uh, of the psalm really controls everything. It, it's this corporate my, where does my help come from? Ascent Church would say, my help comes from the Lord. And we're at, we would be announcing it. The point being, he is an able supplier of aid. Why? Because he's carried Israel, because he carries creation. That's why. We, we, we know that there's no security in anything else. And we should ask ourselves this morning, where else do we put our hope and our, our faith? It's often in very earthly things that cannot protect you ultimately. Can, can governments ultimately protect Christians or anyone? Answer, no. In fact, down through the ages in Christian history, Christians have often found themselves oppositional towards governments. So governments can't help us. What about law officers? Can they keep us from ultimate harm? They cannot. Keyword ultimate. Doctors? People die on surgeons' tables every day. Insurance? Definitely not. <laughs> it's, it's just a survival mechanism of some sort. Like we're just trying to protect ourselves. So, so where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord or it doesn't come. And we often find ourselves looking for deliverance and protection in any old place. And we, we try to vouchsafe ourselves, but we can't do that. And this psalm is inscripturated. It's, it's given to us by God. We don't even know who the human author is, but God wrote this to us to be this emblem for me and for you that he is a helper. He is a protector and he's gonna keep us. And these are the truths that we hang our entire lives on. And so if our foot will not slip outside of Israel as we're scaling the, the mountains, then how much more so is he gonna keep our eternal selves? That's his point. 
Let me see if I can illustrate this a little bit further for you. When we had our third uh, of our four kids, we do like a meal, a meal train um, at, at Liberty where as the mom is recovering and the father less so, but still recovering to some degree uh, from the, the birth, then all the ladies and families in the church, they just kind of bring meals and, and try to care for the family as, as they get back on their feet. And one of the you know, precious moms in, in our church also brought this book. I had never known anything about it um, called Corduroy. Are y'all familiar with this? Okay, but praise God, I'm with my people. Um, so I, I had never heard of it. Uh, and this, to, to, be, to be honest, this is not the original. There was a, a fecal matter that happened um, that was connected to the original. So anyways, we don't, that's a longer story than y'all want. But um, that's not the original. I just want to be clear. Uh, so at bedtime, we started reading this book. And, and I just, I mean, I was like, kids, let's just read Corduroy again. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a tearjerker. But the driving, um, the driving tension in the book is there's this bear in a department store, um, a stuffed bear, and he is trying with all his might to fix himself. He, he's missing his button and everything he tries, he just embarrasses himself and tries to get himself fixed and he never can quite do it until Lisa, the savior type figure um, in the story shows up and buys him as is. Instead of him having to fix himself, she wants him as he is. And I wanna read just the very end of it to you to, to show our, our parallel. She says, I'm Lisa and you're going to be my very own bear. Last night, I counted what I've saved in my piggy bank and my mother said I could bring you home. Shall I put him in a box for you? The sales lady asked. Oh no, thank you, Lisa answered. And she carried Corduroy home in her arms. She ran all the way up four flights of stairs into her family's apartment and straight on to her own room. Corduroy blinked. There was a chair and a chest of drawers and alongside a girl-sized bed stood a little bed just the right size for him. The room was small, nothing like the enormous palace in the department store. This must be home, he said. I know I've always wanted a home. Lisa sat down with corduroy on her lap and began to sew a button on his overalls. I like you the way you are, she said, but you'll be more comfortable with your shoulder strap fastened. Well, corduroy and Lisa correspond to me and you and the Lord almost precisely. In our sin, we are unwantable. No one should purchase us. We are a bad buy. And Jesus looks at us and buys us as is. And in the gospel, what is being communicated to me and you is essentially that you won't be comfortable. You're not safe in your sin, so I'm going to take it from you. I love you as you are, but I'm going to take this from you. And so he becomes this almighty helper to us. The second certainty is this, the Lord is a protector. The Lord is a protector. Again, this word keep shows up six different times in, in this short little Psalm. He's keeping us, he's the keeper of Israel. He keeps his people. In verses three through four, he says, he will not let your foot be moved or it won't slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps you will neither slumber nor sleep. This has got this indeed to it. Indeed, he's going to keep you. He's on the job. Well, this is obviously in contrast 
to the false gods of the ancient Near East, of, of Canaan, of Egypt, um, who appear to be very flighty. They're very fickle and, and in truth, they don't exist. <laughs> but the, the reality of these false religions is that these false gods were absolutely tyrannical to their devotees, but God gave them nothing in return. You'll remember uh, Elijah, uh, the prophet in this episode with the um, false god of Baal, right? In 1 Kings 18, where Elijah is absolutely trolling these uh, prophets. And he, he, says, um, he says to them, essentially, cry aloud for he is a god. Either he is relieving himself, meaning going to the bathroom, he is relieving himself, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. The point being, God isn't like that. He's awake. He's on the job. He can't not be. So you can sleep securely because he doesn't sleep. He's watching you. He's keeping out a look for you. Verse five is probably my favorite verse in the passage. And it's a, such a rich and full passage. It's difficult to pull over very simply into, into English. And, and what's happening, it says a shade. He's a shade right by your hand. Uh, it means a, a little bit of this. It's like the Lord is a shadow at your right hand. And what's being communicated is whatever is closer to you than your shadow, that's where God is always with you. He's never going to leave you. A couple of years ago, I was working through uh, my, my PhD and, and I would put the kids to bed and I'd have to put some more work in and I'd get sleepy. Uh, normal for me. I'm not like God. I get sleepy, right? And so I would get up and I, we live on top of a hill in a, in a neighborhood. They saw a Texan coming from hundreds of miles away. It was ve it's very bad on snow scenarios, but here I am. Um, and so I, I didn't think about that. But on this hill, what I'll do is just kind of walk back and forth on the hill, get some blood pumping and, and wake back up. And something about the street lights this particular night, I'm not viewing my shadow because it's behind me and because of the street light, it popped in front of me really quickly and I thought it was someone running up on me. So I'm just like, Texas forever. I'm just ready to fight immediately. And the reality is my shadow is always with me, even if I'm not observing it, right? And God is communicating to us his comprehensiveness of saying, I'm always there. Before you had a shadow, I was there. I've always been protecting you. I never sleep. I know what your fears are. I'm there. And it's comprehensive. Look at verse two. Your help comes from who? The maker of heaven and earth. In other words, there's no place that isn't his. He's everywhere. He's comprehensive. Verse six, the sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. This means 24 seven protection. He's comprehensive. He's always there. Look at verse seven. He will protect you from all harm. He will protect your soul. This idea of your temporal self, the, the now you and the eternal you, he's keeping you. He's protecting you. And then he rises to crescendo to summit in verse eight, when he says, I'm gonna keep you secure now and forevermore. I'm gonna keep you. You can almost hear Jesus's lion-like voice echoing through it. And he says the same thing in Matthew 28. I'm with you even unto the end of the age. When you're planting churches, when you're sharing the gospel, when you're suffering, when you're dying, I'm with you. I'm gonna be with you. I'll give you everything you need to 
complete my will for your life. I'm gonna give you everything, every ounce of energy, every particle of oxygen, all, everything you need, I'm gonna give it to you. So our question is who, who protects us, who, who helps us, who keeps us? And God sings back at us this morning, I protect your coming and your going both now and forever. A couple years ago, another bedtime scene and, and scenario at the Beerick House has been a number of years ago. Um, we were working through a children's storybook Bible and we came on to um, the, the fall of man in, uh, that takes place obviously in, in Genesis 3. And I'm just working through doing my fatherly business, trying to put the kids to sleep. And um, I didn't realize this, but Abby, my, my oldest, had been working through apparently just thinking her way through like what was Satan capable of. And I was aware of that to some degree, but not quite as powerfully as it was present in her little heart and her mind at the time. And so I'm working through the story and she just begins to cry. I, I didn't, um, that wasn't typical. And uh, she, she turned her head back towards me. She's sitting in my lap and, and she just asked a question, said, Daddy, can, can, can Satan get in my room at night? And I was not ready for that. That was not what I was anticipating taking on that evening. Um, I'm kind of like, I'm hit. Like, I don't, I'm fumbling around. And, and my mind flashes across kind of three or four different options. Like, what do I do? What do I say to her to comfort her? Um, and I opted for it. It wasn't my top five father moments. It wasn't my worst either. Uh, but I opted for the Jesus is so much stronger than Satan thing. Kind of like if they got in an arm wrestling match, like Jesus would so win, you know. And I'm in one sense glad I did that, but in another sense, I think she was searching maybe for something more, a, certain, a, a more of like a heart level that, that does God protect me? Am, am I, um, can he get to me? And so I, I went with the sovereignty of God route and, and I'm thankful for that. And as she grows, she's gonna, you know, come to trust in that aspect of the Lord more and more and more. But I wish I had been a little bit different at the time. Um, I wish I had gone a slightly different route. And, and I just wanna encapsulate for you what I uh, expressed to her over the next couple days. Um, uh, because the truth is, even if I had like shoved that off to and be like, go ask your mom, right? Um, <laughs> the reality is Satan can get into her room. And so this is what I wish I had said. Abby, flee to Christ. Run to him, little girl. Talk to him, pray to him, ask him for protection. Daddy will always protect you, but Jesus is the ultimate protection. God the Father sent his precious, precious, precious son to take on flesh, to die the death you deserve, to wrap you in righteous robes that are invincible, impenetrable. Flee to him, run to him. I'll always protect you, but he's the ultimate protection. That's what I wish I had said. I, I, I did not uh, that night, but tried to express it more over time. And I, I hope it's helpful to you. It's, it's both true that he's sovereign over those things, but that he's your protection. The answer is always to go to Jesus. Well, what of these five invincible truths? They, they naturally flow out of these certainties that come out of the text, that God is a helper, he's a protector. And then as you just address the rest of the Bible, it gets very particular, right? On how he shows up in our life as a helper and a protector. So the first one is this, God, the truth is God prays for you. This is an invincible truth. What an amazing reality. In your struggles, in your fears, in your need for help, your desire for protection and keeping, 
God himself is praying for you. The resurrected son of God, we're told multiple times, is at the right hand of the father interceding for you. He knows your difficulties, your frame. Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And it even says that there's times when you don't even know what to say. You don't even know how to pray. And so it's telling us you just open your mouth and, and, and God is filling the gap. It's a child crying out to a father asking for help. And, and the spirit of God is interceding. These are inerrant, omnipotent prayers on your behalf. And so you just begin to cry out, ask the Lord for help. The second truth is that Jesus protects you from Satan. He protects you from Satan. Colossians 2.15 said multiple places throughout the Bible, but it says that Jesus broke Satan's fangs at the cross. He nullified him. Whatever is showing up in your life, sickness, suffering, persecution, whatever it is, in ultimate sense, it is little more than false, gum, false teeth and, and kind of gums. It, it, he can't get to you. You're in Christ and he cannot get to you. That doesn't mean the pain isn't real or the difficulty or the death, but it does mean in the ultimate sense, he can't get to you. You are protected from Satan. The third one is Jesus protects you from sin. Jesus protects you from sin. Listen, I, I don't know you super well, but I do know you because I am you. I know the sin patterns that you drug in here. I know the things that you have put to death in your life and then years later they rose up again and tried to conquer you again. I know that you have patterns of sin that you're trying to fight even now. And what we see in scripture is that he protects us from sin ultimately, but even in the now. What we're seeing is that we can beg, we can plead, we can petition God and he hears those prayers. If you reflect, if you are a Christian, if you reflect on your life, he has drug you out of the ditches of your sin. And what Matthew 121 says is that he will save his people from their sins. He will do it. This isn't like a negotiation in the Godhead. If he sets his love on you, he is pulling you out of sins. That may be incremental at this point in your life. It may be drastic, but mark it. He's saving you from sin. And on resurrection day, you'll be done with it. He's saving you. The fifth one is Jesus. Sorry. The fourth one is Jesus protects you from death. Jesus protects you from death. Um, you do realize, I hope you realize that your body, my body is very, 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 very frail. One impactful car wreck, car wreck and you're, you're done. A significant bout with cancer, you're done. We've even learned something like COVID can take us down. You're frail. Each one of us in very short order will step into the ring to fight death and we will lose. I thought you said he protects us from death. Someone did step into the ring with death and didn't lose. And his name's Jesus. And so he followed us, he took on flesh and he followed us into death but we couldn't get out of there. So we are gonna follow him out of death. Cause 2000 years ago, he kicked the hinges off of the tomb door 
and just walked out, conquering death. And so he's going to protect us and we're going to follow him because we're disciples of Christ. We're going to follow him right out of death into true life, into eternal life. The fifth truth is God is your, God is by your side through your fears. God is by your side through your fears. Psalm 121 does not mean, and I don't mean to convey to you this morning that your pain isn't a very real pain, that it doesn't feel to you that you have slipped, that you have fallen, that you don't feel protected. I I don't want to, or that the death isn't real. I don't want to communicate that to you. And Psalm 121 isn't communicating that to you. It is very much setting its sights for you on eternal things and saying, I'm gonna be with you all the way along. It may appear, even at the point of death, it may appear that your foot is slipping, but it is not. I'm keeping you, I'm protecting you, I'm helping you, I'm guiding you, and I'm gonna bring you where I want you to go, because I'm God. And so he's with you, he's by your side, even through your difficulties, and he's protecting you with omnipotent power, the same power that he created the world, he is in process of resurrecting you. You will die one day and you'll have no power to get yourself out of that situation. You put all your faith on him and he's gonna pull you out of those things. He's worth it. Well, in conclusion, uh, what of my greatest fears? What I've realized in the last four or five years is that this particular fear of mine, that does God really love me? What has happened is that it served, this is so like God, it served to draw me closer to him. What it's done is wrenched from me an earlier naive understanding of my own righteousness. And what he's done is just almost lovingly rubbed my face in how sinful I am, how sinful I was, and and kind of shown me in stark terms, Sam, if it's up to your righteousness, you have none. And so he's gloriously brought me over and over again to to anchoring his love for me, not in what I do, but who he is. It draws me back to his keeping, to his protecting, to his loving nature that is not based on me. It's not fickle, it's not flighty, It's, it's his. So it's the scriptures that tell me, it's God who's telling me, Sam, I do love you. So it doesn't matter what your heart is saying. Let me pray for you. Lord, you're good. And so we want to place our hope yet again in you. We want to throw ourselves back onto Christ. And I pray that if there is a believer in here that is wavering, faltering, struggling, show them your love. Show them your your love, your power, your protection, your care. Lord, in a room this size, there is almost no doubt that there's an unbeliever here, multiple unbelievers. I pray that they would recognize that you are their help and that you are their hope. You're a protector. So show them that they have no righteousness, that only through the righteous life given over to them, to their account, through Christ, that that's the only way they can be saved. That he died the death that they deserved, but he didn't deserve, showing his goodness. He was raised from the death, conquering their great fear. 
So I pray that they would trust in you and come to know you, that they would come to the front uh, at the end and, and pray with um, these folks who want to pray with them. Lord, I pray that you would protect this church. You would protect it um, from sin, protect its leaders, protect this membership, make them a strong witness for your truth. Let their lives be the truth and, and not tell a lie about the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.